Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am your host, Doug Sweeney. I am here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla, and today on the show... We're giving you a sneak peek at an exciting but unusual faculty publication. Before we tell you all about it, allow me to invite you to campus next week for our annual Go Global Missions Emphasis Week. This year's speaker is the Reverend Brian Wright, president of Send Relief, a compassion-based ministry that seeks to meet not only physical needs but also spiritual needs of people all around the world. He will preach in chapel on Tuesday That'll be October the 4th at 11 a.m., and he'll give a lunch lecture on Wednesday, October 5, beginning at 12.30 p.m. If you want to come to the lunch, we are thrilled, but we'd ask you to register so we'll have the right amount of food. Register at beastandivinity.com events, and of course, you're always welcome to come and worship with us in chapel. All right, Kristen, who do we have on the show with us today, and what is this unusual publication of his? <laughs> Thanks, Doug. We have one of our uh, colleagues on the show today, Dr. David Parks. He is the director of the Global Center in Contextual Learning here at Beeson Divinity School. He wears many hats and oversees many things here at the school. We're so grateful for your work here. And he has written a novel that right. we are excited to talk to him about called Armand's Freedom. Uh, but before we talk about the book, David, it's been a while since you were last on the show. I believe 2013 was the last year you were here. So given that length of time, I wonder if you can reintroduce yourself to our listeners. Where are you from, your family, how you came to faith, faith in Jesus Christ? Thanks. So it's great to, to be with you and with my unusual publication. I'm excited about it. Um, yeah, I'm from Birmingham. And by the way, I've been here 10 years now. Oh. Uh, which is great. I love being at Beeson Divinity School. And part of it is because I'm from here. I went to Sanford as well and Beeson Divinity School. So coming back here was um, a lot like coming home. I came to faith um, largely through, you know, first of all, you know, Christian family, but also my church. But honestly, it really wasn't until the end of my freshman year of high school that I, I really yielded my life to Christ. I always uh, was someone that people would look at as, you know, he's involved in church, good person. But honestly, I had one foot in the world and one foot in church. And one of the things that brought me to faith was I was playing college tennis and I'd grown up blue collar side of town where everyone is either a Christian or they say they're a Christian. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm around people from all over the world and I'm seeing Christianity and cultural Christianity through their eyes. And I'm weighing new questions like, oh, wow. So I believe in this man who said he was God. I guess that seems kind of weird for a lot of people. <laughs> and I just started rethinking through the gospel and everything that I had been taught so well. My church had a great youth minister, Terry Slay, give you a shout out. And, and finally, I realized that this thing isn't halfway. And so um, I yielded my life to Christ. He saved me. And it was soon after that, you can see already the seeds for missions that were planted in my life um, because of interaction with people from other cultures then. I also felt a strong burden for youth 
And it, it, as it turns out, I wound up in youth ministry and in missions later in life. Mm -hmm. Kristen has already mentioned, David, that you run our Global Center and you supervise contextual ministry at Beeson. I'm thinking now about lay people in our audience listening to this who really ought to know both about the ministries of the Global Center and about, so what is contextual learning? You know, that's a term that academics know pretty well, right. but like normal people probably wonder, so what is right. what is contextual learning? Right. Tell us a little bit about your ministry here at Beeson. So that I don't forget, I'll talk about that phrase, contextual learning. Um, that was something that was added um, to my job description a few years ago when I began overseeing the supervisor ministry practicum. And this is, um, a one-year internship that all MDiv students do. It's not technically missions, but um, no matter where you are serving, you need to learn the context. You need to learn what the culture is. You don't want to just assume, even if you grew up in a church, there may be major demographic um, and cultural issues that you just have really never understood. And so um, students start off the year, as a matter of fact, this week, they're turning in a paper that basically explains where are they? What do the demographics at your church look like in terms of um, you know who is there ethnically, who is there in terms of family and children, singles, um, but then also what does your community look like? Do those two mesh or are they very different? So no, no matter where you're ministering as a gospel um, minister, you need to understand the context. So the um, first title I had was just director of the Global Center, and that is very much focused on global missions. As you gave us in the introduction, you talked about Bryant Wright coming. We're excited about him. That's going to be a, um, a week-long emphasis on missions, and this is something we do here annually. Love the Go Global because that's the time where we get to have other uh, mission agencies on campus, and there's some excitement about students walking through the missions fair and interacting with people. And you never know what's going to happen um, as, as a result of them being called out and interacting with, with other missionaries. But probably my favorite event that we do, and it's an ongoing series throughout the semester, each semester is Global Voices. And if you're listening to this, you're invited. You may not be able to get to Birmingham, you're still invited. Um, it's a free lunch that we have where um, our tagline is Stories from the Nations. Uh, I tell students and others who are not familiar with it, say, if you are a student here at Beeson, you're going to get a lot of information. It's very good information. In Global Voices, you are going to, of course, get good content, but you're also going to get inspiration as well. And so we want our students to, to be encouraged by what God's doing among the nations. Uh, we're going to have one of our alumni this semester uh, who is from Iran share about what the church inside Iran looks like. Um, we will have, by the time people hear this, we will have already had Dr. Suji Lukos, who leads a very um, wide ministry in training leaders throughout India. And over and over, there have been testimonies for our alum. Um, other faculty across campus who've shared at Global Voices and have just really uh, been a great encouragement to others. Before we get into your book, I wonder if you can make a pitch or at least tell our listeners about the mission certificate. So if someone feels like God is calling them to mission work, why should they come to Beeson 
to do the MDiv plus the mission certificate? So what I tell students is that if you go to another seminary that has uh, more missions professors and more classes, there are some real advantages to that. I, I don't diminish the importance of a lot of missions classes, but at Beeson Divinity School, the advantages are that um, if you are a mission certificate student, you're going to be taking the same MDiv as everyone else. Um, you're not going to be pigeonholed into just missions. I've watched a lot of people come and go, and I've seen that it is really helpful for people to be trained for local ministry, not only to help them overseas, but they may wind up back for, for a time. They will be in community in a way that's very unique at Beeson Divinity School. And so we have tried to mirror with the mission certificate program the same advantages that Beeson Divinity School already has in terms of community, um, ironing, sharpening iron. So every Friday morning, we meet to pray for the nations. That's not technically a class, but students learn a lot from those times. And, and we try to um, encourage each other and encourage the students. As a matter of fact, we want to encourage former students. We just um, prayed for Friday morning a former student who is a um, was a missions certificate student who is going through a hard time right now. And so um, we called her and we prayed for her because um, we want to see her to continue uh, to grow. So in the mission certificate program, you are going to have um, missions classes, uh, but you will also have um, a, a wide range of experiences that will connect you to local pastors and will um, encourage you down the road. So, Dr. Parks, what is a missionary and contextual learning prof doing writing a novel? That's a really good question. Um, oddly enough, I, I didn't uh, take any classes on that in my PhD program. It started with my daughter. Now, I've always loved telling stories, but that's not really unusual for a missionary or any pastor or minister. My daughter was a freshman in high school, and she starts writing a full-length novel. And I couldn't believe it. Um, she was so disciplined and so intense. And I was just really impressed with her writing. As a matter of fact, when it comes to just, you know, a, a writer and how someone constructs sentences as a um, fiction author, she's better than me. And so I, I'm just blown away. And I'm also thinking that this could be a good opportunity just to join her in doing something. Um, so I really entered it more as a father wanting to encourage my daughter. And I just started from there thinking, okay, well, what am I going to write about? And uh, it was natural that I, I pulled into um, my missions experience there. Well, tell us about this book, what it is about, and some of the major themes and plot points that drive the narrative. So Armand's Freedom is about a guy named Armand who, you know, I don't know anyone named Armand, and that's uh, very intentional because if I named this after an Iranian that I did know, that person could be in trouble. But he comes to Malaysia, which is a place where I live, and he has a difficult past in Iran. He has experiences where he has kind of brought shame on his father and his mom. And so he has a lot of strain in those relationships. And he also has a lot of frustration with the oppression they experienced um, from the government. And so he gets to Malaysia 
hoping to finish a major in journalism and then to be off to the West because ultimately he just wants freedom. And so um, th this is a general scenario that I encountered, you know, multiple times. But so that that's Armand. And he is also haunted in his dreams by a dragon named Dehag, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of fun when it comes to you know, doing something in terms of fiction instead of nonfiction is you can throw dragons in there. Now my <laughs> kids will read it. <laughs> and so um, so he has um, this guilt and shame that he's dealing with. But then as he begins to experience his issues inside Malaysia, which, oh, I need to get get to that. One of his worst fears is being uh, thought of as a terrorist simply because of his nationality. And so his worst fear um, becomes true when there is an attack on the Petronas Towers and he becomes guilty by association. Mm -hmm. And so from that point on in the book, He's running, he hides in, in caves and in crowds. And then the book starts going back and forth between his story and his parents' story, which begins in um, the midst of the Iranian revolution. Mm -hmm. And so you get a sense of for over the years, how um, their dreams during the protest are ultimately shattered as the, the, the new revolution was not quite what they thought it was going to be. That sounds like the kind of story that a missionary would be especially well suited to write. I don't want to say this the wrong way, David, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but is, is that true? And is there something in terms of a takeaway from this book that might be missiological that you've had in your mind? Oh, absolutely. One of the questions that you know, you'd know you written down was, um, you know, what, what is missiological fiction? Mm -hmm. And so, um, well, first of all, there's not much of it. And so mm -hmm. that's what's fun about trying to do something new and different. And I would define it as an illustration of how and why the gospel translates into other cultures. And so as I um, researched this, I did a, a lot of um, reading in terms of books on modern Iran. Um, one in particular is really helpful from Mark Bradley called Too Many to Jail. Got the name because um, there was a, a Christian who said to a jailer or to a policeman that, oh, well, I guess you're you're going to take me to jail now. And the police said, sorry, there's too many Christians now. We can't put all of you in jail. Mm. But what he describes in the book is a lot of backstory that really illustrates why they are so open to the gospel. And so one of the things that I hope the book does is mirrors that intention that he had of showing why they are so open to the gospel. They're also open to, to other things. They're open to pre-Islamic um, religions or astronism. They're open to you know, modernism, postmodernism. And so I, I hope that by telling their story that I can illustrate things like this. I also want to be able to give illustrations of not only how Jesus died for our sin and saved us from judgment, but what it means that he um, took our shame on him and how he saves us from shame and gives us honor, which is, of course, a, a um, mythological theme. So th there's multiple themes throughout the book that um, mesh with, with missiology. You teach uh, introduction and missions courses here, and you work with mm -hmm. students who are called into missions and those who aren't. What do you hope that Beeson students, let's say, when they read this novel, will take away from it? As you've said, Armand is not based on a real person per se, but does represent real people's stories that you encountered 
when you were on the mission field. So how do you hope that God will use this book, especially among your students? Well, I'll go back a little bit. You said it's not really based on a person per se. Yes and no. It is very, very loosely based on um, someone who I am still very much connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, I will not use his name. I'll just say Armand. So he came to me uh, one, one day when I lived uh, in Southeast Asia, and he had already been coming to our ministry for a couple of years. So he'd heard the gospel and he knew the basics, but he had a dream. And so over the weekend, he had a dream where Jesus was involved in it. He also, in the dream, committed a particular sin. And it was like he was warned about this sin. And the next day in real life, he committed this sin in real life. And so it was like he was warned by God not to do this thing. And yet he did this thing. And so he came to me just desperate for forgiveness. He knew that with Jesus, there's a promise of forgiveness. Whereas with um, Islam, and I, and I experienced this so much with the, the young men there that came from uh, countries in the Middle East where they were controlled more. They get to Malaysia that was technically a, you know, more of um it's, it's not a country, but they have way more freedom to get involved in sin. And so they start um, partying, they start um, having sex, they start um, drinking alcohol. Um, I always thought it was curious that the last thing to go was pork. <laughs> um, you would think, you know, you'd start there and work your way up, but that's not how it works. And so then they're in this situation where they can't possibly know that they'll be forgiven for anything they've done. Um, you just have to work and you have no power to change. So he comes to me and he's just ready for the gospel. They didn't need any um, eloquent words, um, just a reminder of what Jesus did and he was ready to accept Christ. So um, there were other conversations that I had that really, uh, so there's that one um, specific situation, but I had a lot of conversations about freedom because I would get in these conversations behind closed doors where they would begin expressing their frustration with their government. And they would you know, talk about wanting to get to the West where they can choose. And I would uh, eventually learn this was an opportunity for the gospel. Um, that I would say, yes, I do like my government better than yours, but you can have freedom to choose and still choose sin. And Jesus says that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And many people in the West make choices that really um, bring sl- a different kind of slavery on them. And that connected. And so I had multiple conversations with this. As a matter of fact, there was um, a couple that were my age and the the man came wanting to um, to talk with me. And honestly, just by the look of him, I was pretty intimidated. Didn't know what he wanted to talk about. Um, but this, we had this exact conversation. He went on and on about how you, you can't do this. Uh, you have to do this. You can't do this. You have to do this um, in this country. And then he said, but with Jesus, it seems like he likes you. And, and I asked him, you know, Armand, what is freedom? And we had this great conversation and he and his wife came to faith. And so it's, that's the theme that comes out of this is um, the freedom that the gospel brings. And so how do you hope that this story will inspire and encourage your students? Well, uh, an understanding and appreciation of Christians in Iran. Um, I, I really do 
want that. I, I want their voices to be heard. I mentioned that um, the Armand is someone I'm very much in contact with. As a matter of fact, I'm a supporter of he and his wife and their ministry. And he read the book and he came back to me and gave me the greatest compliment I've had with it. Um, he asked me, he said, so who helped you with this? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I had one or two researchers help me with all the things. He goes, no, no, no. Who, who helped you write this? And that's when I realized, oh, good. I've gotten it right. The, the history and the, the background. He, he wanted um, people here to know what they've gone through and what they are still going through. And so um, an appreciation for our brothers and sisters in Christ um, is something that I, I really want um, to come out of this. There's a metaphor that comes out in it that I think is a helpful illustration of what it means to take a, um, a story or a myth or something within another culture and use that as an illustration for the gospel. David, I think I may have told you before that I'm an avid novel reader. I've never I don't, ri- written a novel, but I love to read I did not know novels. that, actually. And I'm fascinated by people who write them. And most people who write them are also readers of novels. I just wonder, is that true of you? And if so, what difference has the reading of novels made in your life, in your ministry? I think my answer will be a little disappointing here because I, like everyone else, love Narnia, love Lord of the Rings, um, and there have been other books that have been inspiring to me. But really, the main reason I did this, it it came from uh, my daughter. And so uh, there's nothing unusually, uh, I guess, unusually interesting about who I've been reading in terms of fiction uh, that's just outside the norm. Before we close out the show, can you tell our listeners where and when they can find your book? All right, on October 1st, it will be released on Amazon. And if you happen to be uh, on Sanford's campus, I might have a copy or two for you. You've heard that here first. Right. <laughs> Armand's Freedom by David Parks. We're looking forward to reading that here in the halls at Beeson. Um, as we end today's show, we always like to hear what the Lord has been doing and teaching our podcast guest. And so I wonder if you could um, end the show today by sharing an encouraging word um, from the Lord. Yeah, I've been in Psalm 108 recently. I felt um, God leading me to to memorize um, the first six verses. And the first two, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I think God's been reminding me that sometimes we get to an end of ourselves and we're not going to think our way through something. We're not necessarily going to be able to get a brand new insight by more Bible study um, that quite often we simply need to submit ourselves to the Lord and praise Him. And um, I have begun um, adding singing to um, my um, private devotion. And I, I've seen God work through that. He says the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we are missing joy, I think sometimes that is um, what God wants to, to use with us. 
Amen. You have been listening to Dr. David Parks. He directs Beeson's Global Center. He supervises contextual learning here, and he is also a novelist. We <laughs> encourage you to buy his new novel, Armand's Freedom, when it releases on October the 1st. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Please keep praying for us. We are praying for you, and we say goodbye for now. been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.